Many of you have been a part of a rooted journey, and I just want to encourage you as we look to uh, kick things off on the other side of Labor Day for that, that you would consider being a part of one. It's a 10-week experience, and that's really one of the best ways to describe it. It's, it's uh, more than like a small group. It's more than devotions, that kind of thing. It brings together uh, some catalytic elements for you to um, grow uh, exponentially in your spiritual growth. And it doesn't matter if you're like just checking God out. Maybe you've never been in church until today. Um, or uh, you've been a long-term believer. And I want to encourage you to take that insert uh, that you have there on your seats, to read through that, consider doing it, uh, fill it out, sign it up. We're looking at Sunday nights. Uh, if we have more than enough for one group, we might have two groups, that kind of thing. And so uh, fill that out and uh, fold it up, and uh, we're going to uh, hopefully uh, provide child care and those kinds of things, and then just put that in the offering basket or drop it off in one of the baskets on your way out this morning. Pretty good crowd for the end of the summer. I will have to say, did you get all your vacation time in? Nope, no. Well, you can still do it. I know some of you who don't have kids in school anymore, you just wait until they all go back to school for you to do your vacation. That's, there's, there's wisdom to that, that kind of thing. But uh, we have uh, been in a series um, that uh, I'm excited about um, continuing today, and I do think that uh, we will probably get it uh, finished up tomorrow. But this series uh, has been trying to answer this question, do our prayers really make a difference? And the series has really stepped into the whole subject matter of uh, our authority as a believer in Christ. And when we pray, uh, do we pray with belief? Do we pray understanding the spiritual world? All those types of things. And so we're going to go back at that today. And so I trust you will have open hearts to the Lord and to his word wherever you're at on your spiritual journey, because all of us can be attuned better to being effective to doing what we as a church have called our mission statement, which is people awakening people to be fully alive in Christ and to his mission. And uh, prayer is at the forefront of being a part of God's mission and change uh, that's happening in our world. But I do believe it would be appropriate for us to lead off in prayer, if we will, this morning. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we come humbly before you, Lord, acknowledging that uh, we are sinners saved by your grace. And if we're even outside a relationship with you today, that we're sinners who are seeking your grace. Lord, may we find ourselves looking into your word and your very life today and allowing it to become an alive experience to us. Because Jesus, you are alive and you want us to be fully alive. You want us to be alive to your mission and your purpose here on this earth. And so, Lord, take your word, take um, the subject matter at hand, and, Lord, use it to equip us as your servants. And in the name that's above every name, the name by which every knee shall bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess, in that name we just pray protection across this room, this sanctuary, this uh, venue here this morning that the adversary has no rights whatsoever to bring destructive uh, thoughts, indifference, doubt, that the adversary has no sway whatsoever as the word of God is looked into for our souls, for our nourishment, and for our equipping. So we claim this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. So, as we have uh, walked in this journey uh, in these weeks, we have looked at the subject of the authority of the believer. The authority of the believer. You've been given a certain authority as a believer in Jesus. And if you're not a believer in Jesus, then this is a good word to hear because this helps you understand where you can head. As a believer, you have authority. You've been delegated the opportunity to minister with God in this world. And we gave reference that this authority uh, is different than power. You don't have power. You probably had little power maybe even to get up this morning. I don't know. But the power is not invested in us. The power is invested in Jesus. So also is the authority. But he has given us his authority to operate in his power. And so the definition for authority is really delegated power. 
delegated power. And I was thinking about it this week. You know, I, uh, you know, some of us uh, are familiar with the realm of politics. Some of us are familiar with the realm of educational institutions. Some of us are familiar with the corporate world. And all of us are familiar with the higher-ups. The higher-ups in all those kinds of structures have the opportunity to weld authority over us. And hopefully they're welding that authority in an appropriate way. But we would expect the governor of a state, the president of the United States, the schoolmaster of a school, right? The CEO of a corporation, we would expect them to make certain judgments and decisions and use their authority to enact change. In fact, you know, when a natural disaster happens in uh, our nation, we expect the president to do what? To step in and uh, get FEMA and other kinds, and to make some things happen, to help those people out, right? Well, so also you and I in our Christian life, we have been given an authority that's far greater than any CEO, governor, schoolmaster, or a president of the United States. And that authority has been entrusted to you for you to act, to act. And it's not just in prayer, it's also in deed and in word. But are you taking on the authority that's been given to you as a believer? Are you moping around, worrying that it's another ho-hum kind of week, things aren't going my way? An Eeyore kind of attitude, oh no. Or do you pause and take rightful stock of your identity as a co-heir with Christ? And Jesus was time and time again trying to encourage and instruct his followers about what he was doing. He was equipping them. He was setting them free. He was giving them truth, but he was raising them up to be co-rulers in this world and into eternity. And that's our present calling, and it's our future destiny. I want to sort of sum up some of what we've been talking about in these weeks and put it this way. The believer in Jesus Christ has been given authority in Christ to exercise the power of Christ in the affairs of the world. For the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We have been given, and we walk through this, right? The keys of heaven. You've been given the keys of heaven to bind and to loose. You have access. You have direct access to God. His Holy Spirit dwells within you if you're a follower of Jesus. He's given you spiritual gifts. Yes, he's given you personalities and experiences and all that comes together. But he has called you not just to be saved and sit around and twiddle your thumbs and wait for Jesus to come back or you to pass from this earth to go to heaven. He has given you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And with that, he's given you authority to use and orchestrate his power. So then, as it relates to our big question for these weeks, our prayers themselves do not make a difference. But Jesus, acting through our authoritative prayers with his divine power, makes all the difference. Are you starting to get that from these weeks? And hopefully recalibrating your life as a believer in Jesus beefing yourself up just like somebody who would go and work out or go do a bunch of cardio, run, whatever it may be. You're getting stronger. And God expects each one of us, even if we're very, very baby Christians, to grow and to become stronger, to become more equipped, and to operate as he's called us as his disciples and followers to operate. Our prayers thus move the hand of God. So when you pray, don't think like, well, I guess all I can do is pray. No. Well, the very first thing you better do is pray. First thing you better do is pray. I remember one of the saints of 
old days, I don't know if it's John Wesley or whoever passes my mind at the moment, but he would say that, you know, I have so much to do today that I got to get up two extra hours early to pray more. That is prayer moves the hand of God and operates. So I trust as we're walking through these weeks where our prayers make a difference, that you're starting to understand there's more that meets the eye than the simple prayer. And when you converse with the Lord, and I know for some of us, we're not very good at it. It's awkward. We never maybe grew up in environments where there was uh, praying. I, you know, one of the parts of Rooted is to have a gulp. Better, better not tell you this. You might not sign up. But we have like a two-and-a-half-hour prayer experience. You're like, what? Who would want to do that? Well, trust me, anybody that's done Rooted, many of you have, it goes by quickly. But it's this idea that a lot of us, we've not been in environments where prayer is conducive. Prayer used to be the key meeting of church's life in the olden days. And I've been asking the Lord how we as a church, and we took time last week across this congregation to be able to pray one for another. God, how would you have us become a house of prayer? And that prayer is something that is not foreign to us, but it's just second nature to us. And that prayer is something that, that we lean into first rather than last. You know, some of you are familiar that uh, a very core person in our family, uh, Mike McDonald, is going uh, in for some brain surgery tomorrow, right, Chris? And uh, his wife, Chris, is here, and um, son, Dustin. He was supposed to have it earlier this week, and, and things changed. And he's now at a different hospital and some stuff going. So we're praying for Mike. And pretty significant thing for him to uh, have these tumors. And so we're praying. But, uh, you know, when I walked in and had a brief word of prayer with him once this last week, you know, when I touched the back of Mike's head where that tumor is that they're going to be removing, uh, I, am I just making myself feel good or trying to make Mike and Chris and Dustin feel good? No. I am asking that the hand of God move. And whether it's that tumor starts to isolate and shrink or the ones that are buried more dissipate, I am praying that Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, that his hand can work. Maybe through a surgeon's hand, yes. God's given us. But I pray with belief and authority. I don't have to be loud. I don't have to pull a cross out. Something like that. No, but I tell you what, what's behind it is critical as an understanding of the depth of belief and, and trust in God and that we would pray. The prayer offered in faith, it says in James, does what? Makes the sick person well. Ah, oh, come on. I've prayed for people and they've not got better. I've been sick all week. God works in different kinds of ways. And sometimes his timing is different, but we should never, ever pray with disbelief. He who has disbelief, James also said, is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does when he asks for wisdom from God and discernment. So I trust that you're in this process and this step of, of sort of growing up and, and understanding that this, this whole subject matters. My prayers make a difference. You bet you they do because of the place in which you have been placed. Some of you have been praying for me in this series. I greatly appreciate that because it's not one of these series of messages that I've mapped out. And I do think we'll finish up some of the subject matter next week. But as I was wrestling this week, uh, I was mindful that what we spoke on last week uh, was a little bit heavy, uh, significant. You know, we talked about Revelation 12, the whole aspect of Satan and, and uh, his fall from heaven and understanding that we have a, a need to be educated, to educate um, ourselves, not um, because we're stupid people. We just, a lot of times, we just do not know. And we need to rightfully understand that... Um, there is a spiritual realm, and in that spiritual realm, uh, we have to be engaged in trusting 
the Lord to operate because not of what we've done or our power, but because of what he's done. And so he wants his kingdom to go forward on earth as it is in heaven. And I was thinking last week uh, that some of the stuff I threw out related to doing deliverance ministry and that kind of thing, uh, which I've been involved with for a number of years, is a little bit foreign, a little bit weird. And I just want to encourage you, if that came across as foreign or weird to you, uh, come talk to me. Are there some other people I can have you interact with? The reason that it's that way is because, uh, one, Hollywood glamorizes it uh, with movies like The Exorcist and other weird stuff, and then the church just sort of ignores it. Or if we do talk about spiritual warfare and praying and taking our author- taking the authority of Christ to see the enemy held at bay, you know, it's like, just placate a little bit. Let's, let's be nice and soft about it. Don't be aggressive. I mean, you would actually sit in a meeting with people that have unclean spirits, fallen dark angels that have attached themselves like parasitic worms to their life, and you're expelling them in the name of Jesus? That, Carrie, is weird. Well, one of the reasons it's weird is because we don't talk about it. But Scripture does. You can't move your way through the Gospel of Mark, in particular, which was the first Gospel believe written without seeing it time and again, Jesus encountering and his followers encountering the dark side. Now, what happens sometimes in churches, we do get into maybe too much of a fascination with the dark side. I'm not there. But last week, I knew that painting those broad pictures of the dark side could end up being a a bit challenging on that front. And I was reminded as I was walking through last week and then prepping for this week um, of a time when uh, in my early years of doing deliverance work, and I was sort of a novice and just trying to figure it out. I I really didn't understand even a lot of this authority as a believer, and we were taking the power of Christ and not our power. And there were some situations I got into in trying to bring freedom to people's lives from some strongholds and things in their past that probably weren't run the best. They just weren't. I remember one in particular, I was, it was in a, a chapel environment, uh, uh, a large church where I was uh, on staff at, and uh, I was college career pastor, and I had a lot of small groups of covenant groups of young adult uh, guys that we would meet, and we'd challenge one another to grow spiritually, be in the Word, those kinds of things. Well, one of uh, our guys had been through a troubling season of life. He had been in and out of uh, some uh, even some mental health kind of environments, those kinds of things. Uh, great young man, uh, dear friend, those kinds of things. And and we felt that maybe there was something more going on than just the normal, you know, uh, some cognitive issues, mental issues, uh, challenging as far as life goes. I mean, and some emotional things or history past. And so we did this kind of time of testing thing to find out if there were some unclean spirits there that this person needed to be freed of and Jesus. And lo and behold, there had been some of these challenges. And so we were going through and just, you know, clearing out ground, saying you have no rights to be there because this person doesn't, you know, we're, we're asking uh, Jesus to become and, and be not the demon exorcist, that he's an expulsor. He expels unclean spirits like he threw the money changers out of the temple when he said, hey, that's enough of desecrating the, the father's house. And so we're praying over uh, our friend. And um, there was some freedom that was gained, but there was like this kingpin, this lead demon, if you would, that would not let this person go. And so what do I do in that moment? I get louder. You ever do that sometimes? You think like loudness is going to solve the problem. In the name of Jesus, and we just pray, and we're getting louder, and and we're all joining into doing this kind of thing. The person's not in some comatose state. They're just saying, this is what's happening. This is what I'm feeling physically, emotionally, seeing visually, these kinds of things. So they're doing what's called a reporting principle, (laughs) reporting back. And our friend, he just says, you know, I don't know what it is, Pastor Kerry, but what you guys are doing here, that's not affecting this thing at all. But what Wayne's doing over there in the corner, they hate that. And I'm like, Wayne? Where'd Wayne go? And I looked over, and Wayne's a great guy. He's actually a pastor in the church uh, on the East Coast and stuff. And Wayne's over there just 
interceding quietly and declaring how much he loves our friend and how much Satan has been defeated by Jesus and how much Jesus loves our friends. And I just paused in this moment going, so louder, more people laying on hands. That's, but what Wayne's doing over there, they don't like that. Well, what was Wayne doing? Wayne was centering himself not on his power, but on the power of Jesus. And the greatest power of Jesus is his power to love people that are unlovable. And he demonstrated it by being sinless and dying on the cross for our sins, shedding his blood, being raised from the grave for the salvation of all people who would choose to follow him. And Jesus is the one whose power we needed in that moment. And Wayne in the corner was dialed in more to the power of the Lord and the power of love. And the unclean spirits, they hated that. If you ever feel like you're at loss for someone who is really lost, and you feel there's some trouble going on in their soul, not that there's an internal attack, but definitely all of us are up against external attack, or we're falling to the, the uh, shortcomings of our sinful nature. If you would love those people unconditionally, that doesn't mean um, being dismissive and not having to tough love them at times, but your love for them in Christ is a powerful element to bring their life to transformation in the spiritual realm. And so I want to encourage us as we walk through this last week not to be weirded out and not to be even dialed into the, the right kind of equipping or methodology, that type of thing. I want to encourage you to be deep in your love for Jesus and in your love for other people because Jesus said what? You can sum up all the commands, all the commands in here. Into two, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. You love God and you love people. That is the most powerful weapon that you have. And that's why I like what it says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4. Some of you know this. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up, up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Don't you love that verse? You love that verse? We fight with divine weapons. You feel you're at loss or you don't even know how to counsel the person anymore or you're, you're sort of even weary of offering prayers and you need support on that. You need to understand this. You center yourself on the love of God and the love of other people towards that person. They hate that. But many times we just try in our own strength and own right to fix it because we're fixer kind of people. Right, guys? You want to fix it? Move the hand of God. Love them. And live before them a life of love of God. So, I trust in what we shared last week. It wasn't too weird in that. But I tell you what, something happened to me this week, actually yesterday. That, uh, you know, they say that if you're taking on enemy fire, that you're over the target. Ever heard that? Maybe some of you need to hear that today if you've had a challenging week. Well, I did some follow-up yesterday uh, to a couple people who uh, were new last week, and I decided to do what I don't really do all that often. I just decided, hey, it was Saturday, I was going to text them. And I texted them, but I made a mistake. Have you ever made a mistake texting? I'm not saying the words you use. Have you, have you ever made a mistake by the phone number you sent a text to? And sometimes you send a phone number to somebody that you know that you didn't want them to know that stuff. And you're like, oh my gosh, now I really got to dig myself out of this whole kind of thing, right? Just be careful with all this modern social media and texting, right? So 
I texted these two people, phone numbers I had never texted down before, and, um, and yeah, it's just cordial, hey, be glad to, uh, to meet up and connect. And I got uh, two texts back, one from each, and one of them was an appropriate kind of text, you know, thank you for your kind message, uh, we do plan on attending in person, that kind of thing. But then I got another text back, and I'm like, well, that's like a little bit strange. Well, I was one number off. I poked in a two rather than a three. Let the power of Satan compel you. I hex you. I'm like, what? And the person, the other person responds, hey, you got the person, my friend's phone number wrong. Is this? I'm like, oh, crap. And so I say, sorry, thanks. Uh, so glad Jesus has defeated Satan. Uh, see you both. And then I get back, I probably, I'm, a couple of typical pictures that are out there of, of Satan. Hideous kind of things. I'm like, God, I was just wanting to get back into my studies today. Really? I, what a, what a, a hornet's nest did I stir up here? And there's other kinds of, all kinds of figures, I don't know, some Egyptian hieroglyphics or some demonic hieroglyphics. And then the person says, Satan is alive and he embodied an 18-year-old girl from Texas. I hex your family. And technically, Jesus has not defeated Satan. If he's still doing his thing, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. The devil is real, and he's not a little red man with horns and tall. He can be beautiful because he's a fallen angel, and he used to be God's favorite. Now, what would have you done if you'd gotten that? Immediately, I pray. Uh, pray protection, and I communicate back. I'm so sorry that that happened to the other person. Um, I started to frame up a text. I was ready to send back. I was ready to start preaching. Delete. You do those. Yeah, I just don't need to respond. But I tell you what, in thinking through where we're at, it grieved my soul because it goes to show, and I don't know if it was a prankster or if this person is deeply involved with what they said they were involved in. It doesn't matter. I know that people are. And the idea that Satan is beautiful, oh my goodness. An angel of light, Scripture says. And there's deception going all around. But it's not just the hideous and the ugly pictures of Satan or direct uh, satanic things or Wicca or whatever. It, all of us live in a world where Satan is a roaming lion seeking whom he may devour. And he's deceptive. And he's pulling people under and people away through deceptive thoughts. I was reading some stuff this week in a commentary that I sort of got frustrated with. And so I take notes in my commentaries and I said, Ugh, that's not right. That's crazy. And the commentary was saying, uh, in reference to some of the work of Jesus with the demonic realm, that it's not so much true here in the United States as it is in other countries. And I'm just like, blind as can be. How do you think we're finding ourselves in some of the predicaments over the course of years and generations even? Satan's beautiful. Self-centeredness is the route to go. The kingdom of God. Huh? Walk into my TED talk. You sit underneath them every week from other kinds of people. I prayed protection over my family, of course, protection over us as a body. And, uh, you know, what I sort of reminded, I've almost thought about showing the video clip, but... Pastor Zach goes, no, we don't have license to do the clip. And I'm like, what? I'm do the clip. Some of you, uh, you're old, like me. Classic movie, 1981. Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You with me? I mean, come on, there's a ride at Disneyland with this now. You should be able to remember. Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Well, uh, Harrison Ford is, is all in his place, a bunch in Middle East somewhere, right? And and people all robed up and, and all something parts ways. And there's this guy in this turban with one of those big old machete swords. You remember this scene? And he starts wielding that sword. <laughs> and Indiana Jones looks at him. Everybody's like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? He's got this one. And then he just pulls down his pistol and goes, bang. 
When I get a text like that, I'm sorry, my authority in Christ kind of thing, it's not that I'm being uh, uh, dismissives of Satan and his power that he has, but I'm like, what do you mean a hex? Bang. The blood of Jesus Christ covers it all. He's defeated. You know what I'm saying? And it's not an arrogance that we need to have as believers, but we need to have a confidence that we stand on this side of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have a living hope like we talked about when we walked through 1 Peter uh, a few months ago. We have power to demolish the strongholds, the truth, will tear down lies that's in our world. But we've got to speak up. We've got to speak it. We've got to speak it from a humble heart, a heart of love. But don't be sitting there all freaked out. Bang. They hate what Wayne's doing. That's the bully. We're good. So today... I just thought we'd spend a little bit of time looking at the life of Jesus again, rather than some of the focus on the dark side. And then we're going to have communion and remember the work of Jesus this morning. And then we're going to close it out. There is um, so much in Scripture about the life of Jesus. And when John gets to the end of his gospel, he says, The world cannot contain the volumes that be written about Jesus and what he did. But in different places of Scripture, in the Gospels, you find some back-to-back-to-back-to-back kind of stories about Jesus and his power and his demolishing the strongholds and being able to speak into this world. And in one of those uh, chapters, in Luke chapter 8, there's actually four back-to-back kind of stories. The first, uh, in Luke 8.22, talks about the authority of Jesus over nature. And then there's the authority of Jesus over the spiritual world, in Luke 8.26. Then the authority of Jesus over illness, healing the woman who came and touched his garment. And then the authority of Jesus over death, with the raising of Jairus' daughter. And when you start to roll through each of these stories in Luke, and you can pick them up and look at them yourself this week, there's just this sense of, oh my gosh, this is the Jesus I serve. And this is the Jesus that I need to be going to. And so if you would, I just want to read through these first two stories, not all four of them. But let these first two stories just sort of sow into us our confidence in Jesus and who he is as we lead in this world, in a dark world at times with his authority to see his power become active. And so if you look with me at Luke chapter 8, I'm going to read verses 22 through 25. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. This is the Sea of Galilee. And so he had been uh, with uh, his followers, and he said, I'm going to go to the other side, which was uh, the east side of the Sea of Galilee in Israel. So they got into a boat and they set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and he rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith, he asked the disciples. In fear and amazement, they ask one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. You familiar with this story? Think about it. Jesus is on a boat with a bunch of fishermen, and they're freaked out, and they go to the guy who's not the fisherman concerning how to stay afloat. Wake up, wake up. Now, Jesus He does this miracle of calming the waters, and the Sea of Galilee can have these storms that sneak up on it really quick with um, warm air being blasted with east air coming from the east through sort of uh, some some cavernous ways. And so all of a sudden, boom, this storm is on them, and they're fearing for their very life. And Jesus, I sleep. Any of you ever going, maybe you're going through it now, you've gone through some storms in your life, and you think Jesus is asleep in your boat? Like, Hello? Where are you at? 
Well, they go and wake him up. And I will have to give them this. They did the right thing. They went to Jesus. Remember the first week here, we talked about the wedding of Canaan of Galilee. It's the early ministry, and they ran out of wine at the wedding. And Jesus is just hanging out there with his disciples. His mother is ahead of the reception. She decides not to go to Costco. By the way, did any of you go to the new Costco that opened this week? What a crazy place. I thought it might solve the Temecula Costco issue, but no, they just got more people to be members. Sorry. Maybe it was just the first Sunday. I didn't even make it to the cake section to see if they had cakes for the wedding there, right? No. But Mary chooses not to go to Costco to solve the wine issue. Uh, She chooses rightly to go to Jesus. And so also here in the boat, they make the wise decision. you got a problem, you got a situation, don't try to be Mr. Fix-It. Let's, let's go to Jesus with it in prayer and seeking his will and his, his discernment. And they go to Jesus, wake up Jesus. He wakes up, he calms the water, and then he sort of gets a little upset with them. But I'm like, dude, don't be upset with me. Like, I can't make the seas calm. But he wasn't upset with them uh, in that regards as much as that they didn't have uh, the faith to believe in him that he would keep them okay. Do you ever have that in your life? There's a storm. God, where are you? Am I going to be safe? And you don't have faith. You don't believe that he will. He will take care of you. Uh, some of you are familiar with Larry Crabb. He was involved in uh, a lot of Christian counseling and, and, and really... Uh, very good with it and that kind of thing. His brother died of an airplane uh, accident once, and it would just send him reeling as, as a very solid, deep Christian counselor. And he said, you know, there was five stages that you walk through when something like that happens. First is, uh, uh, you know, this whole sense of, uh, uh, you know, uh, God, where are you? Where are you? And then there is the, God, I hate you. And then there's the, I hate me. And then there's the next step of, I'm going to survive. And it's like, okay, now how am I going to survive? And, and whether it's that or this five stages of grief or other kinds of things, you know, we find ourselves hitting these moments in our life like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Well, where do we go? Do we go to Jesus? Do we go and center ourselves on him, trusting that he will take care of us? That's what Jesus was frustrated by in this. But in this story, we find them awestruck. Why? Because they were amazed. He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. God, in Jesus, has authority over nature. Reminds me of the Ephesians uh, 1 passage again that we looked at uh, just briefly in passing over last week, and it's sort of a, a verse I keep going back to in these, these weeks. In verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, Paul says, so that you may know the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe, the strength of his might which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand and in the heavenly realms far above, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. I tell you what, the Apostle Paul had come to grips with the supreme authority and power of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he prayed that followers of Jesus would all know that. And so you have these stories back to back to back in Luke that are, again, just elevating and pointing to the beauty of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and he protected them. And they got to the other side of the lake. And then when they got to the other side of the lake, there was another story that got unfolded. You see it there? And it points to the authority of Jesus over the spiritual world directly. This is the most troubled man we find in Scripture. The demonized man of the Gerasenes. The Gerasenes was a region. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. Verse 27. 
When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man. The Greek word is actually demonized because the moment you hear demon-possessed, you think of head spinning and you think of uh, the exorcist or some type of Hollywood grandizing of it, right? He was controlled. He was demonized by an unclean spirit, or we'll find out here many, who were seeking to wreak havoc in his life and tear him asunder. So when he stepped ashore, he was met by this demonized man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in the house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirits to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Now, you need to understand this, because I've been around some demonized kinds of situations, especially people that have been in the occult and other stuff. There is power, even sometimes physical power, that's beyond human abilities. And apparently this demoniac of the Gerasenes had that kind of thing, and nobody could keep him strapped down and held. And so he lived amongst the tombs, in solitary places. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? What is your name? They're real entities. They have personalities. They have names. They have fallen angelic names. They also have names that they try to, you know, sneak by it, impress you or make you fearful of them. But this demon just responds, legion. He replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss or the lake of hell. A large herd of pigs were, was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and he left this area because of that fear. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, quote, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus how much Jesus, how much Jesus had done for him. You can go home and read the next two stories. Jesus has authority over nature. Jesus has authority over the spiritual world. Jesus has authority over illness. has authority over even death itself. And it was seen when he raised himself from the dead. When you pray, don't get in the flesh. <gasps> hey, look, Wayne, be in tune with the power of the Lord Jesus in love. And pray effectively. When I find myself walking through spiritual warfare sessions and freedom people, I'm just saying, Lord, give me a love for this person. Because it's not something easy to walk through. But I tell you what, we may not have these grandiose cases like the demoniac or the Gerasenes right visibly before us. Sometimes you do see them. But you do see people troubled. Troubled from their own brokenness, their own sin. Troubled from the attacks of the enemy. Life going a crazy and a mist. He's about destruction. Identify it. It was tragic this week, was it not? Two terrible accidents in Los Angeles. Car accidents, fiery. The first, an ER nurse, troubled for whatever reason, a relationship maybe 100 miles an hour, they say, just plows through an intersection and six people are killed and cars ignite in flames. 
babies tossed and thrown in a baby's feet and died. A troubled soul. A Hollywood actress speeding as well, ramming into one place and then into another, and that car catches fire, and she's gratefully, thankfully, being able to take it out and gone to the hospital. But you're like, what's going on with people? But it's not those fiery situations. There's fiery situations in your own heart and in my own heart that the adversary wants to stir up. You have to call on the authority of Jesus and go to Him. The one who can calm the nature, the one who can speak authoritative words to the spiritual realm, the one who can heal diseases, the one who can raise people from the dead and say, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord God Almighty, that you would intervene and you would draw that person back to you who has wandered astray or even speak into their mind for the very first time. May you keep them protected from the flaming arrows of the evil one. Satan is not beautiful. The things of this world will not ever bring happiness. Protect them, and may your spirit speak to them. Bring someone across their path this week. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Lord, for that troubled soul that there's more going on there than meets the eye, and it's more than medications that are needed or a vacation. They are being tormented. And you speak an authoritative word in the name of Jesus, Satan, and you worker of depression, anger, chemical addiction, whatever it may be. You have no right to destroy that friend of mine. I love them. And you pray authoritatively, not for your power to intervene, but for the power of Jesus Christ. And that power comes from the cross. I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come. We're going to sing a song, but I want to prepare your hearts for us to have communion. We looked at it last week. It says in Revelation 12, they triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death, referring to their encounters with Satan. I want us to take of the elements today in remembrance of the finished work of Jesus. You know, that text message I showed you, the person was deceived in multiple ways, but one of those is that, well, Satan is still doing all right because he's still around. I don't fully understand why Satan's on a long leash and Jesus doesn't come. Cast him in all of the demonic realm into the abyss and move into eternity. But he's got plans and purposes in this life as we individually choose to follow him. And the deception is that Satan has power or has beauty. The decisive battle's been won because of the cross, the shed blood of Jesus, the Lamb, and the word of our testimony. So I want you to take your communion cup. We're going to sing. Hold that communion cup. If you don't have a communion cup, raise your hand. They'll pass one to you. The baskets are being taken around. And then I want us to come back mid-song, and we're going to take of the elements of the shed blood of Jesus Christ and his broken body together as a church family. Let's center ourselves on his work and his love for us that was demonstrated at the cross. Prepare your own heart. If there's things that you need to set aside, ways that maybe you've been indifferent and in sin, ask the Lord for forgiveness. Step into a season of repentance. Maybe it's for a friend that's caught in the stranglehold of the adversary. Pray for them that the blood of the Lamb would be able to be applied to their life for their salvation someday soon. So let's sing together, and then we'll partake together in these moments.
in the Word of God, we're instructed as believers in Christ to take of the elements. It's what Jesus did at the Last Supper before he went to the cross. He had his disciples who were trying to figure it all out. They had no idea what stood before them that week. And he took the bread and he broke it. And he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood, a sign of the new covenant. Take. And with the bread and with the cup, remember me until I come again. And we do this with the Father in glory. And so we have this moment in time on August 7th at the end of summer as we know it by a school calendar year to remember the broken body and the shed blood worthy as the lamb who was slain he has defeated the enemy we fight from victory not for victory right and so will you pray with me Lord Jesus we thank you here this morning in remembrance of you for your broken body and your shed blood your humility to give your life as a ransom for your blood symbolizing life itself you poured out your life for us and you gave up your life you bore our sins on the cross so we don't have to pay to the penalty for sin and you have forgiven our sins if we're a follower of yours and by you we are set free from the bondage of Satan we are forgiven of our sins. So Lord, we thank you for that this morning. And we remember your work on the cross 2,000 years ago when we look forward to that day in eternity when we will partake of these elements face to face. But until then, Lord, we remember you and your new covenant and that you are alive and active in our life and in our world. Amen. Amen. Partake of the bread and then partake of the cup. ask the ushers their places to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as well as your connect cards or your rooted sign-ups just know if you have prayer concerns there's a prayer area over here if you'd like to pray with someone or if you just want to come forward and pray but as the ushers come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings and our responses to him by the way, if you have a spiritual need or if you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus Christ or to grow spiritually, mark that back of that card. We'll follow up with you this week. But I invite you to stand. We're going to sing this song out. And may we just sing it with declaration. We fight with divine declaring the victory of the Lamb who was slain until he comes again.
who can set them free. God's blessings on your week. We'll see you next week.